My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by Misha Wilcoxon. Misha is now a practicing nomad who has worked in a variety of different industries, but the main point of this is how to live a life that brings you true happiness and quit your job in fintech and end up working as a Nat Geo videographer. And I've learned a lot from Misha about what it means to live and also what it means to work. And this conversation is far ranging, but mostly talks about his journey from being a Stanford alum working in the very competitive field of fintech and SF to becoming a videographer helping film National Geographic documentaries in Southern Africa. I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Misha Wilcoxon. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Well, uh, Misha, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I'm going to start off by asking, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, it kind of, it kind of varied. Like I, um, originally when I was really, really young, um, I wanted to be a firefighter when I was like three or four, but then, um, probably like my, my, uh, the early years that I can, that's at least what my parents told me the early years that I can remember. So I went to a Montessori school, um, and at Montessori school, you basically get to, there's like a very limited core curriculum, but you basically get to choose, uh, choose what you want to what you want to do so i did a lot of projects on um on animals and on gemstones mainly things around things that i saw in the natural world that i i was really interested in um so yeah i did lots of projects on those and then i guess i i wasn't really thinking too much about what i wanted to be like then going into a very competitive uh high school um i everyone around me wanted to work like at a bank make lots of money that kind of stuff so um i and a couple of my uncles went that that kind of route so i was definitely like considering doing that and did like an internship in um on wall street uh one summer in new york um but i think like all through like my childhood growing up because my mom was a camera woman for the bbc um, she always gave me and my sister cameras and stuff like that. And so I, I mean, I did like an art A-level where I, um, I was primarily shooting for like photography stuff, usually, um, working in the darkroom a lot. Um, so I think photography had always been like a, a large part of my life. I had just never really like considered, um, that that was like a career option, um, but then I think in the last like probably couple years, um, pursuing both animals, which are probably my my favorite thing in the world, and photography at the same time is kind of like a a dream come true, and is what I really want to be doing. And fortunately enough, I've found myself in the position where I can do that. Um, and and so like I think if you talk to anyone, especially when it comes to nature. Um, and why they want to help the planet or why they want to live more sustainably 
um, I think a large majority, at least of the Western world, would would talk about or would derive their their thoughts and feelings from things like planet earth like i think for example david attenborough um and the large-scale bbc documentaries have had a, a profound impact on the whole of the western world um and so being involved in that kind of stuff in large-scale um nature documentaries i think will have the biggest impact in terms of changing people's minds and changing the world moving forward but it also allows that will allow me to um to do what i enjoy doing and, and is what i really want to do so and it's interesting because you not only brought up the fact that a lot of the people that you grew up around wanted to enter this financial kind of sphere in life but you you did that after school didn't you yeah yeah i mean so i um i worked uh I worked on Wall Street um, for a summer two years ago, and then I was basically in my last year at Stanford, I was thinking about what I wanted to do, and I was doing doing a lot of work with social media, um, and I, I figured once I graduated, I would move to New York and, and kind of work full-time on, on social media stuff, but also um, as a photographer traveling around. But then... Um, like three, four months before I graduated, two guys who I knew from Stanford um, who dropped out came to me um, and said that they'd started a company, they had some money, um, and they wanted me to be the CFO and CEO of the company. Um, so, I, I mean, I I took the meeting more as a courtesy because they were friends of mine back, back when they went to Stanford. Um, I really didn't think I would ever con- even consider taking the job. Um, so I, I think that mindset allowed me to kind of um, like extremely or get an extremely good deal from them because I like I just highballed them like pretty dramatically. And I think they they wanted to get they wanted to get a great team together um, and money wasn't so much of an issue for them. Um, so so, yeah, I I decided that. Um, the salary they were paying me along with the fact um, that they said as long as I did the work that I had to I could still um, still travel and do as much photography work as I wanted to um, meant that uh, meant that yeah I took I took the job um, working in crypto which I knew nothing about um, at the time anyway Um, but it also gave me the flexibility like all the time that I was working there anytime that I wanted to go off on a shoot or work with a client or something like that. I could fly out like there were multiple times where I'd fly out for two weeks. And I mean, I'd still, as long as I had internet access, I could still do what I needed to do. Um, but it meant that I could do both things at the same time um, while, yeah, working in that world, which which was definitely interesting. Yeah, and I, th- I think that not only were you fortunate to have a situation like that? But also I think it was a lot of your own power, right? You, you, you proposed the idea to them to basically say, Hey, let's, I want to keep my life balanced with this creative side that I'm never going to kind of give up. And, and they yeah. really appreciated that. Cause as long as you got your work done, they didn't really care. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they were very supportive of what I wanted to do, which, which was great. Um, and it was definitely an experience working in that world. But I think I'm very glad I stopped working with them when I did back in January because I think the 
like I'm glad that I did work there. I definitely learned a lot about life, about myself, about money, about people, about greed, like about just a lot of things. Um, but I think if I'd worked there any longer, I would have started to really regret, especially in the long run, just wasting wasting time doing something that I didn't really want to do. So I guess that begs the question: How do you do, how do you fill your days now? Um, my, it's actually funny, especially because a lot of my friends have real jobs as in they work nine to five going to an office monday through friday um like especially when i'm back from shoots um like i was back in london uh back in london last week and kind of just um i mean i've been updating my website but there, there isn't really too much that i like have to do during the day everything is kind of up to me which is which i guess comes comes with the territory um but it's funny, like I'd go on nights out with friends or go to dinner and, or something like that. And they, they'd have to go home early because they have work the next day. But, but for me, especially in those situations, I have kind of ultimate freedom, which, which is nice, but you definitely have to stay disciplined, um, and stay, stay busy with a lot of stuff. So, I mean, this last month and a half, I've been, when I've had free time, I've been mainly trying to just update my website to, um, to within the last couple of months in terms of what I've been doing um, but um, and send out a few pitches but but especially because I've been working on on these um, on these shoots recently out in Africa um, I'm more focused on that and just working with and learning from um, from other people that most of my quote-unquote work is done when I'm out in the field and I mean, it's definitely intense. Like I was out, out there for two weeks last month. Um, we, one day we drove 14 hours. In Namibia, right? Uh, no, I was actually in South Africa. Got yeah. It. yeah. Um, one day we f drove 14 hours. Um, well, yeah, 14 hours to try and make a cheetah berth in time to film that. Um, I mean, we'd be up every day at 5 a.m. going to bed at like 10 p.m. Um, it's definitely long days and it's just you and like, I mean, when I was there last month, it was just me and one other person. Sometimes it's you and, and just a guide or something like that. Um, so it's definitely, uh, it, I mean, it can definitely be lonely at times when you're, um, when you're out shooting, particularly when you're on your own shooting and you're not part of a team. Um, so I, that's another thing you just like when you have that time on your own, you have just a lot of time to think about a lot of different things. Um, and it like this this last three months not being as busy as I was when I was also working in crypto um I I've just had a lot of time to think about a lot of things I don't think I ever really would have thought about without the time to do so so yeah yeah and I think uh you know from this past year I've probably worked on average maybe actual work work like 20 hours a week and i'm sure you're familiar with that where you have this time that and and it can be good and bad sometimes it's filled with like positive thoughts and you dream of ideas and inventions that you never thought were possible and you think of a new idea for your site or a new possible idea for the future but also there's a negative side of that like you know sometimes anxiety can play a role and and, and really kind of fill your mind with things that aren't aren't really as 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 positive so i think um kind of expounding on what you just said can you talk about any of the projects that you're actually working on right now in, in more detail? Yeah. So, uh, so at the moment, um, I'm, I'm working on two projects, uh, 
I'm working for this guy called Russ who's been working with National Geographic um, on films for them as well as films for um, the BBC, Disney Nature, a few other um, big big houses. But uh, he he's a big guy um, when it comes to wildlife cinematography. Um, so I'm working for him on a couple of um, on a couple of Nat Geo projects. One is on the last uh, wild white lion in Africa, and um, the other project I'm working on is it, we're working on three parts of a six-part series on baby animals and the three parts we're doing are, are lions wild dogs and cheetah um so last month when i was in south africa we were shooting bits for the for the cheetah segment um later this month i'm flying out to namibia um to shoot parts for the wild dog segment um it's actually a shame um i wish i was out there right now because russ just arrived um on location but i've got my my dad's 60th birthday coming up so i have to be back for that but the day after his birthday i'm flying out to to namibia to shoot out there and then um july august um onwards we'll we'll be spending a lot of time between between namibia and south africa working mainly at three different locations one in the kruger one in the karoo um and one uh one in namibia um like three hours north of the capital um yeah those are the three locations we're shooting the three different segments at basically yeah it sounds amazing and i'm sure you're pretty excited about all that stuff coming up yeah yeah i am um and i mean there are definitely other opportunities i've been considering pursuing um and kind of have in in the works like i um a a company in canada wants to work with me um they they ha uh they have a lodge in manitoba um and they want me to come out and shoot polar bears with them but also potentially do they run photographic safaris and that kind of stuff um so that's one thing that i've been trying to put a a final proposal together for them because they asked me to to get something together for them um also sea legacy um run by paul nicklin and um yep and christina so i was fortunate enough to meet christina and so we we talked about potentially um working working with them on different projects but i think that's probably more longer time at least at, at the moment my my main focus is learning everything i need to know about shooting um like moving pictures i've obviously yep. for the last however many years primarily shot stills which i think like i would be confident doing any project on any subject anywhere in the world when it comes to stills but um learning particularly shooting on um reds shooting manual focus shooting all of this all of this stuff that i haven't necessarily done so much of in the past um and learning from russ and just how the industry works is the, the primary focus so until i'm at a point where i feel as confident as i do in in photography i'm pretty content just learning yeah so kind of digging deeper into the the new skills you have to learn so the technical aspect of recording with these massive uh, for those who aren't familiar red makes these um, very modular, very high quality um, cinema cameras that can shoot up to 8K. Uh, are you guys shooting in 8K? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, like, what what kind of logistics is involved with 
bringing these cameras, you know, as you said, 14 hours out into the, the yeah, I mean, it like we had a car just loaded up with gear, yeah. um, and yeah, it's definitely like a lot of heavy gear. Um, it takes a toll. That's actually something that I was talking to Christina about because she was talking about how, um, especially in in the early days, they were trying to get more women into the field. Um, and she said that she kind of just gave up on on that hope and that ideal just because the gear is too heavy, um, especially when you're working in the water. A lot of the time, um, women, unfortunately, just don't have the physical capabilities and endurance to to be able to do quite the same things as as men. Um, which which is a shame but there are many other areas within the industry where women can work um but but yeah it's heavy heavy gear um you're carrying around yeah tripods cameras lenses um all of this different stuff um and it definitely takes a toll i mean uh not only that but you're driving on bumpy roads like it's not i don't think the average person would necessarily find a lot of aspects of it fun um like for example russ's russ's wife when filming on um a documentary out in india broke her back um and just from driving on one of these bumpy roads basically she came off the seat came back down jesus um and she broke her back and she was out uh for a long time she's been on painkillers for the last year and a half i think um and is still not I mean, she can, she can walk and everything. She's, um, she's like semi-functional, but she's still on a lot of painkillers and, um, it's, yeah, there are definitely downsides to it and definitely risks. And like, she's been bitten by a cheetah before Russ has been bitten by a crocodile. Like, I, I mean, I can't count how many times I and others I know have been charged. Um, like people i've worked with have had friends family members die from while like there there are definitely dangers and and aspects you don't necessarily consider um but i also wouldn't really change it for the world and at least when it comes to the endurance aspect side of things like being out long hours carrying carrying heavy equipment long distances um i think coming from a like athletic background definitely helps um like i came from a rowing background where it's essentially just pain pain endurance um who can who can put their body in the most pain so so at least mentally and physically i feel probably more prepared than i might have otherwise been um like i know for example one of my friends donnell um he took some time off from shooting in the field just to um work with a work with a a strength trainer basically to build up his body to be able to to carry some of this equipment out in the field because he was just completely broken after being on the go for so long and i don't think people generally understand you know what you're talking about uh you know in terms of like how much weight you're saying and just to kind of put in reference like a fully loaded red camera with a cine lens and a couple batteries on it weighs how much like 35 pounds 40 pounds uh probably more than that yeah um that's just the camera I would say the camera with the lens and the stabilize like if you if you fully like maxed out everything, yeah. I'd say you're looking at up to like maybe sixty pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't begin to include like all the extra batteries and memory cards and gear you need to just yeah. support it outside. Yeah. That and like then you'll also have like a tripod, you'll yeah. want um 
yeah, a whole, whole lot of other things. Because yeah. that's the thing. I've talked to people before about traveling with camera gear, and they're like, oh, it's easy. Like, cameras just fit in your pocket, in your backpack. I was like, the, the gear that is required to film the stuff at this fidelity is so large. Yeah. And most people just don't understand yeah. how in-depth in it gets. Yeah, I mean, like, I thought it was bad carrying just, like, stills equipment with, like, two bodies, a whole host of lenses, like a drone, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and... And it like really pales in comparison to what happens when you start shooting on really high quality quality film gear. Like Russ, um, when he was shooting in India a couple times, had thirty four bags that he brought onto um, that he had to put in the hold. Um, wow. Like thirty four thirty four bags is like multiple cars coming to the airport, and yeah. um, it it actually becomes cheaper to fi fly business class than it does to fly economy when yeah, you have that many give you so many free bags yeah that's the perks of having airline status though right yeah. um i going back to the charging of uh, you know you said you've been charged multiple times are there any are there any like distinct instances you remember like vividly of being charged yeah probably the first time i was charged by a lion um so I, like we were we were basically trying to get get close to this six month old or it's not six months six week old um lion cub um but so it was this one lion cub and then three female lionesses um and one uh one lion and we 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 parked probably like 20 meters away um and i was shooting and and like even when we when we drove up the they were a little bit on edge, but they seemed to calm down a little bit. But um, then they started growling a little bit more and a little bit more. And then eventually one of them obviously just like snapped with us being there. Um, and so she got up and started charging. And like the instant she got up and started charging, the other two females got up with her. I, I mean, it's like a, a pride mentality. Um, but when, so they charged at us and, they came one of the lionesses came within like a meter of me and i mean we were fortunately we weren't on on foot we were in a car but the car doesn't have a roof the car doesn't have any doors the car doesn't have like and i was on the side closest to the to the lion so i could like this lioness was maybe a meter away from me i could smell her i could she was like right there and um it's the only time i've ever um even since then, it's the only time I've ever stopped shooting. Like I, as soon as they got up, I just recoiled in the car. And for like four hours after that, my heart rate didn't come back down. Like it's the most primal yeah. um, fear. Like it doesn't compare to any scary movie. It doesn't compare to anything like that. Um, you just think like they could easily have just followed through. And the thing about when they're, when they're especially when they're mock charging you like that, um, I mean, it's more just telling you to back off, but... Yeah. Uh, and you leave immediately after that, right? Yeah, like straight after that, we drove off. But when when they're mock charging you like that, they make themselves look as big as possible. Yeah. Like they'll buff their shoulders up. They'll um, be as loud as possible. They'll come showing their teeth. Um, and so that, I guess, is one semi-fortunate thing. Is like, I mean, I was obviously with a highly trained guide at the time and he knew they weren't going to follow through with with their charge because they were exhibiting this behavior what you have to be careful of is when 
they're not making themselves look big when they're low to the ground, when their yeah. ears are slicked back, when they're not showing their teeth. That's when they're going to come through and hit you. Um, and but, that's when the guy would normally like drive away because he sees that coming, right? But yeah, I mean, like that that won't really happen, at least in a vehicle. That's ve- it's very unlikely that that will happen unless yep. you have like a small child in the car or something. Um, but uh, on foot, you don't really want to encounter lions or any any kind of big game. Um, with with cheetahs, it's a lot more relaxed. But um, yeah, I definitely yeah. So what what African mammal scares you the most? Um, uh, I mean, I would say probably a lion. Yeah. Um, I, I hear think hippos a, more than lions, but that's a whole other. Yeah, I think a, like it. It really will depend who you talk to. Um, like a, a lot of people I know will say elephants. Um, some people will say. Uh, some people say black rhino it it kind of depends i just think with rhinos for example as long as there's a, t- a tree nearby you can kind of use the like a, a decent tree you can use the tree to to kind of shield you plus they don't maneuver themselves that that well yeah. um elephants i mean i guess you are really fucked either way but like I think their behavior is uh, like lions are going to eat you. Yeah. And that's, I think, more scary. Elephants just want to trample you if they're yeah. just, but they're usually, it's just, just scared. It's never really anger, right? Yeah. Unless you yeah. do something to. Yeah. And like, I mean, uh, again, going back to, back to Russ and his career, he, uh, in the early days of his career, shot a documentary on the man eating lions um of the kruger so basically there'd be these refugees coming from mozambique across the border into south africa um and they'd jump the the fence in the kruger then they'd follow the river down um follow the lights of the mine of the closest town and and make their way through like through like that but they estimated i think something like 25 percent of people who crossed would get chowed by lions like the lions would would just wait for these people um and they knew they everyone, were coming. yeah and everyone everyone who crossed kind of had a story um about lions like they're it's definitely it's definitely interesting but they are incredibly scary and um like i i don't know i i guess probably if i was in india i'd be more scared of tigers obviously because they're there but it's hard to compare the two because they aren't really in the in the same place anywhere um other than in small parts of the very small parts of the world um but yeah, I think I think lions. A couple of guys I know who are guides think they could, if a lion charged them, they think they could be all right. But that's... I mean, I mean, so I I spent some time when I was a teenager in the, in the Yukon and I was trekking around. The biggest thing to worry about there is grizzlies. Yeah, uh, and there was one point where we were on a ridge, and all of a sudden, my guide, who's about you know, I'd say like twenty yards, twenty meters ahead of me, uh, he sees like a grizzly cub, like a thousand feet down the path which you know that somewhere nearby is the mom and you know you have to get out of there as fast as possible so if she sees you she's going to immediately assume that you want to take out her yeah. her cup right um and then they give you bear spray but you and i both know that it really doesn't do shit um so what do they like i know some some guides will carry guns but how how is that even useful in a situation like that like what uh, would they do yeah i mean they carry guns a lot of the time there's no way they're prepared enough like if if you were always prepared carrying a gun, you would be fine. That's why they carry them, and like those guns will take down an elephant. So, yeah. um, but 
especially like for example i've been in situations where i mean we've either been surrounded by elephants or um we've been sitting down watching cheetahs um eat from like five meters away like if another predator had come up behind us like we would have been fucked like there there are definitely a lot of instances but you kind of have to just and that's why you have to be with people um who know how to deal with any given situation and i'm i'm definitely learning like the more time i spend out in africa the more i learn and understand how to read signs and signals and um you have to pay attention to to the smaller animals who might give you warning signals you have to pay attention to where all of the animals are looking what the tracks are doing what the behavior looks like like all of that kind of stuff um so it yeah it's really just trying not to put yourself in an incredibly compromised situation um and being sensible but at the end of the day you could just get unlucky that is kind of how the world works i mean it's the same in a city as well like you could get hit by a random car like you there's only so much you can do and and just to set this record straight do you do you prefer being in a city or do you prefer being out in the uh i mean i i prefer being out just with the animals like the best days of my life have been just like surrounded by animals i think that said um and it's like something that i've learned like in the last year i haven't been um in the same place for more than two weeks in a row so i've been like on the move just constantly and something you learn when you travel um all the time like that to always new places always new people that kind of stuff um is that the people are like the most important thing like no matter how much you enjoy doing something how much money you're making how crazy the experiences are um at the end of the day like the most important thing at least for me maybe it's not the same for everyone um but at least for me is being able to share those experiences with people that you really care about but also having like that support system in place um because i think without that like that it wouldn't really mean a whole lot no, and, and I'm, I think I'll be the first person to agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, so going back to people and experiences, you traveled a lot as a kid, right, with your family? Yeah. What was the first trip that you took with your parents and your whole family that you really kind of got the travel bug where you said, like, I love moving and, and getting out there and seeing new things? Yeah. Um, I mean, we went we went on a lot of trips when I was younger. The first real one that I can remember and that got me – that got – me i guess started down this whole path was um when i was seven my parents took my sister and i out of school for six months to travel around the world um and so we went um i'll try and list off the places that we went we went to the maldives sri lanka uh singapore australia new zealand we spent a lot of time in australia and new zealand um uh tahiti rarotonga um hawaii la new york um i've probably forgotten a couple of places along the way but um acceptable but we yeah so we we went to a lot of different places had some really amazing experiences and it was in um in the maldives pretty early on in the trip that i was um out swimming uh in this crazy blue water by by our little um a little hut 
uh, and so you you swim with all these colorful fish during the day and then in the evening we went to this pier to go have dinner um, and you're deciding what you want to eat I chose what I wanted to eat and then they basically it's all like fish on the menu and they basically just grab the fish out of the water cut them up and put them on your plate and it's like a seven-year-old when you don't really associate where one thing like you don't really put two and two together um i mean you probably like if you really thought about it would realize where meat comes from um but as a seven-year-old it like opens your eyes up to i was swimming with these things during the day and now i'm eating them so i said that i didn't that dinner i said i didn't want to eat it and then i told my parents i wanted to be vegetarian um and i've been vegetarian ever since but I think that trip, both in terms of my love for animals, because we saw a whole load of animals on that trip, but also in terms of my love for travel, really got things yep. started. Um, I mean, we went, went to a, a lot of amazing places in a short amount of time. I, I mean, obviously, I was very young, and there are only bits that I remember these days, but I think there's also a certain amount that it ingrains into your like subconscious that, um, that when you do those kind of things when you're long you're younger there are probably parts of it that you don't necessarily um explicitly remember but that have had a lasting impact so when you going going deeper into vegetarianism you stayed a devout vegetarian since then yeah yeah i've never eaten meat since i was seven so um when you're traveling to these places especially remote africa and a lot of these cultures you know they're pretty protein and meat heavy you know how do you I guess part one of the question would be, how do you find, you know, I'm sure I see you all the time. You're like, I, I bought 120 cliff bars. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the, the, the shitty things about being a vegetarian going to, cause they're most, they're pro, like what uh, nutrients they get is, is meat and animal products. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that's something I've had a lot of discussions with people about. Um, I, when I know that I'm going on a trip to a place where I might not necessarily easily be able to get protein, um, or I'm out for long periods of the day, uh, I will usually bring a whole load of protein bars with me. So when I was out in Africa for like a month earlier on in the year, um, like close to half my suitcase by weight was just protein bars. Um, so I think I brought 72 protein bars or something for the month. Um, and I mean, so that definitely, definitely works. You can also, like most societies around the world will have eggs so if you yep. can eat eggs you can get protein that way but um it's not always like you don't always have somewhere to cook you don't always have um have access to this kind of stuff so um it's definitely tough but like i mean the human body can survive it's not like i'm out there for months and months and months yeah. um the human body can survive like a week eating like mainly rice and like starchy products. There's still pro- protein in those products, just smaller amounts. Um, and uh, at least for me, I would rather just avoid eating meat. It, it's something so Donnell, the guy I was talking about um, earlier, he spent some time up. So he recently, he's, I mean, he's been eating meat all his life, but the last couple of years he's been I guess he's decided that he wants to try and cut his meat consumption um, completely if he can. Um, and so he, he again, is based in, he's based in Cape Town and, and shoots a lot in Africa. And he has been finding it tough. So he was asking me questions about how I managed it and how I do it. And 
he was talking about how when he w- went to the Maasai Mara, um, he w- basically the the Maasai put on this whole thing for him, and they I think they cooked a it was either like a pig or a lamb or it it was some whole animal that yep. they they cooked specifically for him, and then wanted him to eat, and he he sat there and ate it, um, and and i guess in that situation i probably like obviously they they didn't know necessarily he was vegetarian or if they did it yep. they they thought it would be polite of him to eat eat the meat but i think in situations like that obviously it'd be difficult but personally i would still just like not eat the meat but i know i mean for example the dalai lama um who again like his his beliefs are that he should be vegetarian so i think um buddhists are vegetarian but the dalai lama when given um given meat when he served meat at like a a dinner or something like that if if the person doesn't know um he'll just eat the meat um because at least by his beliefs it's ruder to refuse the meat um when it's being cooked for him than than to not but yeah, for me, I think I would also be sick, like physically, like I don't think it's yeah, something sure. that my body would necessarily be able to even handle. Um, but yeah, so it, it's definitely tough, but you find ways around, around it. So what is your, what is your, if you're in a city or home in a place where you have, you know, because you live in London now mainly. Yeah. So you have access to pretty much whatever you want. Uh, what does your diet look like throughout the day then? Uh, I mean, it's... Uh, it's pretty like it's pretty varied i um for breakfast i'll normally eat like whole wheat bread or eggs or cereal that kind of stuff like a normal breakfast um but then in terms of i guess what i eat instead of meat um it's primarily like veggie hot dogs veggie burgers um lots of cheese uh eggs nuts i drink protein shakes eat protein bars um trying to make sure that the bread you eat is always whole wheat that kind of stuff you eat a lot of acai bowls i see on your instagram all the time yeah acai bowls are pretty good they're a good way to get some some fruit in which i a lot of the time um don't i don't necessarily eat fruit on its own but i like having lots of like and blend it well, yeah. together. Fruit on its own is just it's pure sugar, whether yeah. you want to look at it or not. Yeah. Um, but not not to div- dive deep on that. Um, do you have any daily routines? And I'm sure these will differ from when you're home versus when you're traveling. But do you have anything that you like have to do every single day that you like doing? Uh, I mean, I like, especially when I can, I like being able to work out every day. Um, I usually alternate days when I can between um, between cardio. So usually either running or cycling, and then the next day I'll lift um i'll lift weights um i so i like being able to work out i what are other things um these days i pretty much only well at least when i'm like in a in a city not necessarily when i'm shooting out in the field then i really don't care what i'm wearing but when when i'm like doing anything pretty much these days i wear either a white or a black t-shirt gray trousers and brown shoes it's yeah um I don't have like I have it's your ammo. You're wearing it right now. Yeah, yeah. I ha- I have like eight black t-shirts, eight white t-shirts. Um, it just makes it's not so much like, uh, it's not like the Steve Jobs like approach. Yeah. It's more just I think it looks the best and yeah, that's um, and simple and it's easy. Uh, Would you say you're a minimalist then? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Um, 
I like to be concise. I think um, I think minimalism when it comes to art is great. When it comes to photography is great. Like if you can say things, do things, um, make things more simply, but still have the same amount of meaning or content, then that's usually better. Yeah, and, and not to get on too much of a tangent, but you, you do have a fair amount of jewelry on. Does anything any of them have any sort of significance to you, or is it more for fashion? Or uh, Yeah, I mean, so I'm wearing these two bracelets that are um, made by Shannon, the wife of Russ. She started this company. Um, they basically, all the bracelets that she makes, 50% um, of the money goes to different charities. Each bracelet corresponds to a different different charity. So the two I'm wearing, one is for a, for Nkombe um, Rhino, I think it's foundation, but they are basically, they help with anti-poaching in South Africa. Yep. Um, and the other is for the Backwater Sanctuary, which is in India. Um, a friend of mine, she she runs it and she um, basically helps rehabilitate abandoned horses, maltreated horses, that kind of stuff. Um, her main ethos is to try and let the horses be as wild as possible. So as long as, as long as they're healthy she just lets them do what they want um wow. and so that's that's what those two are and what's the what's the name of that uh if people want to go buy those bracelets uh it's it's called it's called wild in africa i think okay um, i'll, I'll she, link i'll make sure i link yeah it. Cool. shannon wild is the she's she's a also a um wildlife cinematographer um and great so it's a great combo yeah she's yeah. a great person um and yeah hopefully i get to see her out later on this month when i'm in namibia I'll, i mean i i know i'm gonna see russ but um i think shannon might be coming out as well yeah other than these uh i just have a watch from a watch company i have a few watches from because i like their stuff um and this necklace i've had for the last probably nine years yeah i was gonna say i've, I've always seen you wear that necklace so. yeah yeah um Oh, and, I, and I've got my signet ring, but that's just a family. Yeah, that family makes, thing. makes total sense. Yeah. So um, going back to poaching, as you talked about, have you, when you were in Africa, have you actually seen any of, uh, not it happening, but signs of it happening? Or uh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen like some of the stuff I've seen online now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're definitely aware of it and you'll see things like, uh, like white rhinos being dehorned i've like i've been there for um rhinos being darted and dehorned so that the um can prevent so that you can pushed. prevent them being yeah. killed basically which doesn't harm the animal for the um yeah, yeah yeah um and so th but it's it's sad that that we have to go to measures like that where we have to um in some way like manipulate these wild animals so that they don't get killed um but no, I like a lot of people I know have seen a lot of crazy, crazy shit. Um, Russ has been shot at shoot, shooting a film on um, on poachers in in the Kruger. Um, but I, I mean, I guess mainly just because I've worked in Namibia, the poaching there isn't as bad um, as it is in a lot of a lot of other parts of Africa, particularly um, particularly South Africa. Um, but I'm sure. The more time I spend out in Africa, the more I'll see. Yeah. And and do you have plans in the near future to go up into the 
kind of central parts of Africa where there's more of the jungle, more of the different types of species. Yeah, I really, I really want to go to Uganda and I really want to go to Tanzania. I, I kind of have vague plans to go to Tanzania this summer if I have um, some time. I, I want to go see the migration. Um, yeah, that'd be but, incredible. But it also, like, I also want to be as free as possible to be working on on these shoots and, and learning that kind of stuff so um tanzania is definitely on the list like i i know that i'll make my way out there sometime in the le- in the next year shaz um a guy who who runs a lodge out in india who i went out to stay with um he uh is opening up a lodge um in tanzania later on this year um and so he and he and I have talked about um, about joining up there and shooting um, kind of when the lodge opens. It should be around November. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go to, to shoot in different parts of Africa. Um, the one thing I'm still, and I think I will always be afraid of, is going to areas that are like high malaria um, risk zones. But... Uh, Which is completely justified but but yeah i think um are you ever afraid of entering the areas that are dealing with state conflict and humans versus animals you know uh not so much i i I find that stuff more interesting like uh, like i respect um photojournalists i like i think i i would be less scared in situations like that and more just interested than i would if like i got malaria i don't think that would be yeah and i think i think there's that unknown with animals at the end of the day you know humans are humans and you can you you have a pretty good understanding what they might do what they could do but animals are is yeah you get their everything at the the window yeah and like probably it's less rational to be scared of mosquitoes than it is of humans in those conflict areas but um but that's just yeah the way i see it so in, in terms of world travel um besides the uh Besides the places in Africa you just mentioned that you want to hit, is there anywhere in the world that's been on your list for so long that you still have yet to go yeah, see? Yeah, so- Southern America is like the the main place that I... It's the only continent I haven't hit, I guess, other than Antarctica. Um, uh, I've had like a, a road trip planned down the West Coast, um, starting up in the salt flats in Bolivia, going through the atacama and then through patagonia and all the way down um to the southern tip like i think just the landscape is so varied um like from salt flats to desert to lakes mountains um open fields like it it's everything especially if you're if you come from like a a landscape background i think it would be an insane an insane trip that said um these days i'm more like that that trip was like my dream for a long long time but these days i'm more and more interested in in just spending as much time with animals and seeing yeah. as much crazy shit because i was going to say that those countries you just listed are some of the most animal barren countries in the world yeah um yeah i mean like you you can definitely see some animals like alpacas and pumas yeah. and but nothing compared to africa but yeah it's <laughs> it's it's not quite the same yeah 
because uh, my sister is actually studying abroad down in, in Santiago right now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm visiting her in two weeks, so I'm pretty stoked to get down there. Even though it's the winter time. Yeah. Um, but that exact trip, my friend, I'd, I knew a guy that did it, and he actually drove from Princeton, New Jersey, where I school, and uh, drove his car all the way down. He had to crate it through, uh, I think it was Honduras, because it's like there's no road, and yeah, you'd probably be killed if you, you can't. There. I don't think it's because I was planning on potentially driving from the U.S., and you can't. I don't think you can get through the Darien Gap. So I think you yeah. have to take like a ferry or something around. Yeah. And there's also some parts where it's just completely not safe for you to yeah. even be anywhere near. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. But yeah. Uh, Bolivia to, um, I'm guessing you don't go like down all the way down to Patagonia. Yeah, all the way down to, um, I can't remember what the, I think it's Punta Arenas is yeah. the southernmost town in Chile, yeah. And then would you want to then hop on a boat and go to Antarctica at that point? Uh, potentially, yeah. Like, yeah. Antarctica is definitely something I want to do. Um, definitely requires a lot of planning, but yeah. Yeah, there's, I think there's a fellow photographer United I both appreciate, uh, John, I think, John Bozanoff. He's the guy that spends most of his years down in yeah. Antarctica, New Zealand. Um, yeah. Have you ever talked to him or anything like that? No. Um, I mean, I've seen, like, I've seen a few different trips go down to Antarctica. I've seen... Like there was that guy who crossed Antarctica solo. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few. Wild. Yeah. I've seen a few different things, but I mean, it's like a whole another world. Like I experienced some level of cold um, and that kind of world when I was up in Lapland earlier on. Yeah. Um, a few months ago. Uh, yeah. I just missed you. I was in Copenhagen when you were driving through. Yeah. I yeah. missed you by one day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lap- Lapland is like, um, it's surreal and very cold and definitely gave me a taste of of that kind of area but i yeah i mean i definitely want to i want to go up to svalbard i want to go up to the arctic i want to go to greenland i want there are a lot of i mean it's safe to say you want to go everywhere yeah is there there anywhere you don't want to go uh not really i like i want like one of the things i want to do is go to every country in the world before i die so and what number um, are you at right now I'm sure you know. Uh, I think it's 42. I Which have an app on my really phone. And, and how old are you, Misha? Uh, 24. Yeah. So. <laughs> he's, he's checking his phone right now. To, to yeah. I'm I mean, sh- I, mean not, I track it too, so I get it. it. It's not like if I was solely focused on going to... Country counts. Yeah, obviously. Country count, like, you wouldn't spend I think, four months in Namibia. Yeah. So four, 43. Um, I, yeah. I there, What app is that? It's called Bean. It's not. It's not very aesthetic, but oh, okay. it, it just does the job, cool. um, and it shows you a map with all the countries colored in. That's sick. Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, especially in the last few years, I, uh, like, I've just visited a lot of countries I've visited before. I think I was counting. Uh, like a week or so ago or a couple of weeks ago and I figured out that I've been to like 21 different countries in the last 18 months which is amazing um, but but like at the same time it's not so much about the number of countries that I go to more just like the experiences that I get and the people that I Absolutely. share those experiences with yeah and so i guess the only two things i'd ask about is so you have any interest in ever doing some underwater exploration like scuba diving or submarine based stuff anything like that yeah i mean uh, like one of the things uh a friend of mine and i really want to do is uh it's swimming with the killer whales in um in norway yeah um you want to help with thick wetsuit for that yeah swimming with the killer whales in norway i think would be great swimming with the 
humpbacks in Tonga um, during calving season would also yeah. be incredible. Incredible swimming with the blue whales in um, Sri Lanka. I think those are the three, probably the three main like water-based um, shoots that I'd love to love to be a part of. In terms of like diving deep or or scuba diving, I guess it it doesn't interest me as much. Um, like I I think. I mean, I, I'm going to need to learn to scuba dive properly to to be on... Like, you can free dive, but it's just a lot easier if you're yeah, shooting absolutely. to have a tank. Um, but, yeah, not not so much, I'd say. And I'm not as interested in, um, in like... I mean, I would love to, to see the Great Barrier Reef and I would love to see a lot of the amazing um, ecosystems of our world's oceans and I'd love to save them. But I think in terms of my interest, my, the main, the main three, are whales, um, yeah, the whales in Tonga, Sri Lanka and the killer whales in, uh, in Norway. And, and backing up on my background, any interest in going to space and going to space? Yeah. Like if you had a chance one day to do one of the tourism flights where you could go up there and see the earth and come back down, would you do it? Yeah, I definitely do it. Um, I yeah it'd be insane like I I definitely yeah I definitely do I think I would probably want it to be safe um like I think back in the back in the day like it would have been I would have been one of those people who want to would have wanted to fly um like with Armstrong yeah um and just or, risk everything to yeah when it, when it was like incredibly like new and novel but I think these days like I mean dying up in space is obviously like a noble I, I agree. way to die 100%. but I, like i think there are probably better ways to die or in the pursuit of of that i guess i guess not to be asking more questions but in your mind like what would be the best way to go out and like the world you and like the life you live of travel and dealing with animals and like sometimes things that most people consider crazy you know yeah um getting mauled by a lion you know yeah i don't know i think the best way, i think the coolest way would just get you yeah probably get hit by a um a leopard because you wouldn't see it coming. It would just, like, just take you out completely. You, it would just be one and done. And then I think leopards are like the coolest. <laughs> um, like the way that the three big cats of Africa kind of have three very different ways. Yeah. And that's of, leopard, of, cheetah, and lion. Yeah. Right? Of okay. going about things. So cheetahs are, I mean, all three, they need to somewhat sneak up on their, on their prey. But cheetah will kill their prey by basically sprinting faster for very short distances than than their prey knocking it over and then for a period of like two to ten minutes choking it out um then lions will usually hunt as a team or otherwise they um they'll do something similar ish to to cheetahs but generally it's more it's more like a planned hunt um but leopards are kind of like the the navy seals of the wild like they have to get three to five meters away from their prey um so they i mean they are like ultimate stealth you don't see them and then they basically just pounce um and within i mean i guess it depends on how big the animal is but they'll either just crunch through the brain case or they'll choke the animal out in in a few in like 30 seconds leopards are the most elusive to see in the wild right uh yeah in 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 africa of the big cats yeah definitely yeah and have you seen them when you were out there yet yeah yeah 
Um, I've been fortunate enough to see leopards and a few um, leopard cubs actually, uh, three, some three month olds, some six month olds. Um, yeah, they're, they're my favorite big cat. When I was younger, it used to be cheetahs, but these days it's leopards just because of I feel how... like these days you, you have a bit more knowledge in terms of picking your favorite. Yeah, just because of how rare they are. Um, yeah. And I know in, I know in, in India, it was, I mean, it was the snow leopard. There was, I know in planet earth, there was one shot that a guy that we spent like eight years of his life trying to get of that. I don't yeah. know. It was a snow leopard, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, snow leopards are, are pretty elusive. I know one guy, when I was last out in India, one guy who I was there at the same time as he spends a lot of time up in Ladakh um, in Northern India looking for snow leopards. And he, yeah. I think he spent close to, a year in total um looking for snow leopards but he i mean he he sees them semi-regularly i'd say but usually they're from a long distance he did actually tell a story about one time this snow leopard um i think it hit like a domestic dog like right in front of him and he he was just like what is going on but um but yeah definitely they're definitely incredibly elusive um and just there aren't that many of them which makes them even more more difficult to find yeah i mean i think that's part of the fun isn't it with what you do it's like you don't know what you're gonna get every time yeah it definitely gets frustrating especially when i was out (laughs) in india like you like there was a week i just didn't see any cats and you're like what is going on and but that is definitely part of the fun like the wild is not a zoo and that's some that's something that like a lot of tourists don't necessarily understand um the other thing is like when i'm out there and i like find an animal i want to spend time with i'll like spend one day to like a week with them straight so uh so it's a little bit different than your average tourist going on safari and they like go out for three hours and they see a lion for 10 minutes and they're like okay let's go find another animal and you you take a scientific approach to it too you know yeah. You, you're studying these animals yeah you're, yeah you're cataloging what's going on yeah and you you learn their like individual behaviors it's not not even like oh these are the behaviors of a leopard but it's like these are the behaviors of this particular leopard like we know when she's angry we know when she's hunting we know yeah. like what she does in those situations we know when she's going to call her little ones back to her all of that kind of stuff so is you know really important when you're trying to get yeah the shots and understanding going. animal behavior is pretty key when you're especially when you're Absolutely. filming um like it's something that i am still working on when it comes to like marine life is um like when you're filming them for example from a, from a drone like knowing where they're going to surface when they're going to breach all of that kind of stuff yeah it's something that takes experience and Absolutely. i have like i have a certain amount of experience i'd say a lot more experience with land animals but when when it came to shooting marine life, it's it's like a whole different throw everything game. out the window and yeah. start again. Yeah. Now you mentioned zoos. Um, I'm just asking, like, what what is your opinion on on zoo life? Um, yeah, this is uh, this is a fun. They definitely play an important role when it comes to animal conservation, and I think some zoos do it better than others. Like I know, for example, Jersey Zoo in the Channel Islands in the UK um, was was started with the with the primary goal being or the only goal being conservation so the only species that they have at the zoo are endangered animals Um, and i think that approach is is a lot better than than just 
it being like a the central park approach right up here a kind of entertainment yeah Yeah. entertainment based approach um that said i wish we lived in a society where we didn't need zoos at the moment i think it's important to have them especially as long as animals are under threat um but i wish i wish i think if animals weren't endangered um i fully would not support zoos um it's it's a funny thing the other the other side i guess that people maybe don't think so much about is pets and this was something i was thinking and reading about a couple of days ago actually um but like whether having pets is ethical um and what do you think and i think i think no i think it's not ethical but i think we are where we are and it would be more unethical to just let all pets be wild animals because um especially when it comes to dogs and cats um they are not in a position one where that would be possible but two uh there are just so many of them that a lot of them would have to end up being put down so i think when it comes to dogs and cats like we're kind of in a situation where we can't really go back we can only try to change people's minds yeah and and reduce the amount of these dogs that we're breeding and cats that we're breeding yeah um but when it comes to other animals especially exotic animals obviously i don't believe in in keeping those as pets and i think for most animals i think keeping pets is is kind of a cruel and somewhat selfish um yeah like human no i I agree behavior um like i i I, my family has a dog and i love my dog but at the same time like when you really think about what you're doing and like leaving the animal on its own for long periods of time or like not allowing it to socialize with others or telling it when it has to eat drink like go outside all of that kind of stuff is it's definitely questionable but we are in in the situation that we are and yeah I think, especially at this point, for example, with our dog, it'd be unethical, right? To just, just get rid let of it. it be free. Like right. it, it wouldn't survive. And it, yeah, I think, I think in the same vein of that as I was having a discussion with uh, two vegans recently and they're very, you know, pro veganism, anti using animals for anything. And uh, they said like, I'd love for the entire world just to switch to veganism immediately. And I said, okay, but what do you do with those hundreds of millions of cows and hundreds of millions of pigs and maybe billions of chickens? Like, what do you, what do you can't just let them roam free. Like at that point, you know, yeah. it doesn't work. Same thing with dogs and cats, you know, plus dogs and cats are so far domesticated, I think, in their breeding that they might not know what to do. Yeah. You know? I, I think it's something that you just have to change pinio- people's opinions on and slowly yeah. phase out over time. Um, yeah, when it when it comes to animals and and veganism, obviously I'm vegetarian, but I think there's also especially in today like the way the amount that animals are intertwined with everything that we do. Yep. Um for me veganism would become incredibly difficult to live your life. Um like if you really look into it, just about everything you do by etc has in some way been touched by animals at one point or another um like even plastics are are essentially like dead animals right so that there are a lot lots of um yeah in an ideal world it'd be great but that's not the world that we live in unfortunately yeah
Um, and I think I think going off what we were saying earlier, uh, I want to dive into social media quickly for a little bit. Um, you know, you I feel like you met most of the people that you work with now via social media. I know some of them you ran into people like I think Russ. You said you met at a preserve. You didn't know him before that. Yeah. Um, but how many? How what? Is, how what is like Instagram? especially done for you in terms of like building out this life and career you have yeah i mean it's done it's done a lot in terms of allowing me the the opportunities that i've i've had and i've met a lot of great people through social media i would say i've also met a lot of terrible people through social media do do Um, i count as a good or terrible person a good person but i think uh (laughs) i think especially when it comes to influencers like the people who are taking pictures of themselves and posting pictures of themselves and um i i think a lot of those types of people i've met um don't necessarily think so much about what they're doing no they in general they're they're just not great human beings that's not necessarily all of the those kinds of people that i've met but a lot of them um and the the better people i've found um and is probably another reason why i've tended more towards the like ngo charity wildlife side of things is just the people i've met through social media who are focused on that side of things are generally better people more more thoughtful um and having i'd say a bit better impact on the world than than the person who takes a bum shot in a hotel pool and and i think going off that a debate i had this morning um with a friend of mine about geotagging and you know, cause it's, it's, there's, there's two sides of the argument. There's that by these photographers geotagging these really rural places, there's only becoming spots and everyone wants to get the exact same photo that this one person did. But the other side is that, you know, from the capital's perspective, people say, well, Hey, geotagging these places like Iceland is getting people there. But when I was talking to Chris Burkhardt, when I think you were there too at one of his screenings, and I asked him about that, and he said it's he, he said it hit him really hard because he realized that some spots in Iceland that he was really the first one to photograph and make popular, uh, you know, he's created some of the tourist spots in Iceland, and he is very conscious of that. And and, and if he said if I could go back, I would make sure that no one could find this place. Yeah, yeah, I I think especially with landscapes, that's that's probably more true than not um like it definitely does things for countries economy i mean iceland went from being a primarily financial based economy to essentially tourist based yeah, economy. economy um so i mean it definitely changes changes probably countries and, and their economies but i think in terms of the impact that it's having like what benefit is there for people visiting these landscapes other than like whatever intrinsic value they get from seeing this amazing stuff and maybe it it helps them change their mind about what they want to do to save the earth but i think more people than not especially when it comes to landscapes um just want to go there to take a picture or whatever it is i think when it comes to animals it's slightly different like the the great benefit of tourism when it comes to animals is the more people that want to go out and see these animals and animals are very different than um than landscapes in that like you're never gonna get that same shot like every situation is different um yeah and so so when it comes to animals i think wildlife based tourism particularly when it's done ethically and in good places that are doing good things um 
is only a positive like the more money that's flowing into these places the more is being done to save these animals save these environments um and ensure that future generations of people get to see these animals but also the the populations of these animals start to recover um and so yeah when it comes to to geotagging the places that i go i mean all the places that i go i like wholeheartedly believe in in what they're doing and i'll only tag a place or a company if i believe in what they're doing um and and so then tourism can only be a good thing it's a little bit different in some parts of india and i don't know if i would necessarily geotag exact locations then um where maybe it's not being done as ethically like there are it was pretty bad but not incredibly bad where i was in um in kabini in the uh, like it's all government run so the government is the is the one in charge of everything that's going on and there they they have two sections of the forest um that are where tourists can go fortunately it's only 10 percent of the total forest so 90 percent of the forest is just completely wild which i think is amazing um but the the two tourist sections they limit to 10 cars each but in those in those sections you can have up to 10 cars in a sighting and the drivers often speed around i mean i think all in all it it's doing good things for animals and for the way people especially locals think about the animals and the importance that they have to society but in africa everywhere and everyone i've i've worked with um I've I've fully believed in what they're doing and and so money there can only be a good thing and so geotagging can only really be a good thing like Arindi for example where I've worked a lot is the size of Arindi is 10 times the size of Manhattan it's the same size as Singapore like it's this huge amount of land um, that animals have to roam free and they could if they wanted to build probably five other lodges on the reserve um they only have two like one is like a camping lodge and one is like a hotel kind of lodge yeah um but for paul the owner um and for the whole team there the the goal is not to make it a tourist trap or anything like that it's not even about the money it's just about like ensuring the lives of these animals um continues on and and that future generations and populations start increasing they have more land to roam like they want to build that reserve out so that it's like five times the size it is now um and for them it's just about the animal conservation which i think is it's like a great thing so so how does that i I guess just thought about this so that's private land owned by Arindi, right? Or is it la- some of it's government owned land that the government says you can use this for conservation purposes or how does that work? Yeah, it's pri- it's privately owned land. So it all used to be, well, mo- most recently it used to be farmland and it was bought and uh, okay. and joined together. I mean, before it was farmland, it used to be roamed by a lot of these animals, but um, it was farmland and they want to basically keep expanding by buying out local farms um, and expanding reserve like that. But no, it's not government owned. Um, it's a little bit different in South Africa, obviously. Um, like the Kruger, for example, is is government owned. Um, but it's privately run, right? Well, there are there are parts of it that are privately run. There, so there are concessions that are 
essentially parts of land that are bought and they're not government owned anymore but they're still part of the greater kruger area and so animals can roam freely between the kruger and the and these privately owned um so it basically means there's no fence in between the kruger and these privately owned parts um but but yeah that that's that's how it is in south africa and then, so you, and we can get into this if you want, but uh, you also own the username at Traveler. Yeah. And you use it now as a, uh, I think feature page is kind of a dirty word, but uh, more of like a collection of artists that, you know, yeah. content. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was going to be probably doing more with it, um, or I had wanted to originally do more with it. At one point, I considered just switching my own Instagram onto like my turning it into my personal Instagram and just using it like that. Um, these days I more use it for if there are places that I want to go or brands I want to work with, then it's a, it's a good way of, um, of reaching out and helping those brands, um, and, and working with different companies. Like if there's a hotel that I want to stay at or, um, a company I want to work with, it's great for that. It's also great for any, any project or, um, idea I think that the world needs to know about um, that I, I think is worth sharing um, I've I've kind of strayed away from uh, from social media a little bit in the last like three or four months at least it being my focus just because going back to what I was talking about in terms of the impacts large-scale documentaries have on the way people think i mean i think social media is great and i think you can have an impact but i think the larger impact um is is in those documentaries for example um but i think uh i don't know i i think just the way that people consume social media at least at the moment is very superficial and to some extent I question how meaningful it is when the when a lot of the work you do is for social media. Yeah. Um but I mean it's great to be able to reach a large amount of people. Um and I still haven't fully decided what I want to do with it. Um but I'm sure I'll figure it out. It makes sense if uh I mean since like at Misha isn't available cuz it's that, you know, celebrity actor dude yeah i it makes sense just to make it your own you know because you are a traveler like i don't know anyone else in my entire life that travels as much as you do yeah i the thing with making it my own is that like i'd rather just have my my misha wilcoxon page as my own and like if that grows it grows if it doesn't it doesn't but i'd rather have that separate and then and then traveler still be there for if there's anything more like business related that i want to do um like i think on my account i've kind of decided uh, like i want to cut down on the amount of like landscapes or lifestyle based photos that i share and and keep it probably not strictly animal based but But like pretty close to animal based as possible and i think if i was doing that on traveler it wouldn't necessarily be quite the same thing i like I'll continue to share probably my, my landscape photos and so, and I, I still do share probably one in every five or eight photos is mine on Traveler. Yep. Um, but 
but yeah, I, I, I guess I have just started to question um, the impact that social media has. And I think if I started to focus more on Traveler, um, th- there are definitely different approaches that I'd take. I'd probably build a website for it um, yeah. and, and get focus and use it to focus on on larger scale projects that I just don't have time for at the moment, basically. And has Condé Nast tried to buy it from me yet? Uh, no, they haven't. At least, I mean, I don't know. I rarely check the DMs. And yeah, I don't know sense. how else. I'm sure the amount of spam you get is is yeah. insane. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And and so I think uh, that's the last question I had, and you you touched on it lightly, but you know. I've noticed your style from two years ago to today. Like you used to do lifestyle photos like everyone else did, right? And now you're switching to almost completely animals. And is that something that you think you're going to keep up or you still want to intertwine? You might post your lifestyle stuff on Traveler but not on your personal or what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'll probably still take a few lifestyle photos and a few landscape photos. But I think my interest level for for that kind of stuff has definitely waned and it's something that I think a lot of people use social media to essentially brag about their lives um and and like I think I I probably fell into that trap a little bit when I was like 18 19 um but I would say in the last like few years the, the lifestyle or landscape photos I've shared, I, I've mainly been trying to just share like my work, but also the the beauty of the world. But a lot of people kind of get confused about that. Um, like a lot of people will read, in, if, let's say you upload a photo of a girl who's your friend. Mm-hmm. As bad as this is, like, I, I think it's just a function of like today's society, whatever it is. Um, like I'll get people, even like friends of mine asking me like whether I'm seeing that girl, I'll get girls. If I have a girlfriend at the time, she'll get jealous or annoyed. If I like, basically it just creates a whole load of unnecessary issues. Cause there's no real backstory to these photos. People yeah, don't just, just understand, <laughs> understand like what's going on. Um, and so I, I just want to kind of stray away from people thinking that I'm trying to brag or thinking that I'm seeing some girl or that kind of stuff. I want to, and by the same token, I'm more interested in animals anyway. Um, so I think it kind of just makes more sense, especially given my interest levels to primarily focus on that. Like I, normally coming out to new york like this i would have brought like all of my camera gear this time i brought one camera with one lens um and i might potentially shoot the vessel tomorrow afternoon if i have time yeah but i haven't shot anything while i've been here make sure you get um, tickets early that's all i think i have to say yeah i have i haven't shot anything while i've been here and i really don't know whether i will or not i almost definitely won't share any photos that i take from here um, I don't know. I, th- I think I just don't want people to get the wrong impression. Um, yep. and if I am sharing landscape or lifestyle photos, I want those to be done 
like tastefully and people know what's going on and why I'm doing that. Yeah. yeah. Which is the most probably, you know, admirable thing you could do these days. Yeah. Not chase clout on Instagram, which everyone seems to be wanting more than anything. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is a real shame because I think if a lot of people slowed down and asked themselves like what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yep. Um, most of them seem miserable people. Yeah. I, I, I just, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people use a lot of this stuff to hide either to themselves or to other people, like how unhappy they are or how, yep. um, how bad of a person they are. I don't know. Did you see that social media documentary that came out like a month and a half ago? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. It's on Netflix. I, I forget the name of it, but uh, like Ravi Vora is in it. Like a couple like younger Instagram stars, a couple like local New York City freestyle ones. And most of them just seem like miserable, miserable people. Yeah. Some of them are so far into themselves that it's like their only thing. It's like, I think my example I use often is Jay Alvarez, right? You know, here's a dude that, uh, you know, people would be like, oh, he sends it every day. You know, he's like dating like the hottest models in the world. He's jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that. And he, and he talks a lot about mental health and his own struggles, which is, you know, adm- admirable of him to do that. But also at the same point in time, I wonder how much of that is still a show, right? And how much of that is him actually, like that's how he actually is. Yeah. Right. Because um, at some point I look at someone like that and it's like, yeah, look, they have a lot of fun. But I also want to know what's going on inside their head. Yeah. I mean, I like I would say... Because a lot of people like assume that because I post photos or videos from helicopters or yep. um, like in wild locations having all of this stuff, like people just assume that you have the most amazing time. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm really, really grateful for all the opportunities yep. that I've had. But that was something that like in the first three months of this year, when I had more time to think about stuff, you start to question like what the point of everything is like why are you doing what you're doing yep um and and especially spending a lot of time on your own like instagram is such a small part like people get to see such a small part of your life um yeah it's the they best don't get to curated see, like, moments they don't get to see the six hours in the middle of the day when you're sat in your hotel room and you're like thinking about like what are you actually doing yep um, or if you're out in, in Namibia, you know, the seven days where you just stand there waiting for, you know, 20 good minutes of actual shooting. Yeah. And and so that like that time, like, I mean, it definitely it definitely takes a toll on your mental health. And yep. and and that's also like when you make your biggest breakthroughs, I think, in terms of like self self growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and so that was for me when when I decided that kind of the most important things in my life are the people and so i'm gonna make a conscious effort for to to make sure that everything when it comes to the people is where i want it to be um and i mean that go that kind of comes to how you act as well like i think something that we don't do enough in today's society is for example when you love someone or you think about someone you don't just tell them that yeah. Um, a lot of times people feel like things can just go unsaid. Um, and so I've tried to make a kind of a conscious effort to make sure the important people in my life know that they're important and, um, and to really maintain as good a set of friends um, and relationships as I can, given that I'm traveling a lot. Yeah. Um, because I think 
like the only way that I'll be able to sustain traveling and doing what I really enjoy doing is if I also have that side of my life um, in check. Um, so yeah, I mean that like someone, a, lot, a few younger people have, have kind of reached out to me and asked me about like, should they go to college or like yeah. what are like the most important things they should know about traveling or like how do they travel or what they should do with their lives. And that's kind of the, what I've tried to tell people is the most important thing is the people in your life and, and getting that, that like base in place. And once you have that, that then you figure out like what it is that you really, really want to do. Um, and I guess I'm fortunate enough that I know what I really want to do. I think most people deep down know what they want to do, but they're too scared to do it. Um, yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. So, but yeah, not to, not to keep flogging a dead horse, but I think people is key to mental health. Yeah. Um, and mental health is, is pretty key to happiness. So, and, and so I think going off that and you're allowed to completely veto this question, but traveling so much, like how have you handled it in like a romantic sense? Um, yeah, it's definitely been tough and like, it like took its toll on my relationship with my ex-girlfriend who I broke up with last summer. Um, and, and I think, I mean, even this time last year, I would say I was at least like mentally a lot more naive than I am now. Um, and, and I kind of, was excited by all the bright lights of traveling and, and doing all this stuff. And, um, and I think it definitely, it definitely takes its toll. Like I've had since, since last summer, I've, um, yeah, spent time with a few different people, but ultimately relationships seem to just end because the distance doesn't work. Um, yeah. and it's a shame cause I, like I've had, uh, well, I've had one really close relationship with someone else that just didn't work out because um, she lived like four hours away from where I was. And um, and now it's even further now that I'm based in London. Um, but it's definitely tough. Um, the other thing I've tried to do, um, because again, people are the most important thing and um, is when I am back, and like when I'm back in London, say for a week or two, instead of like, I, as an example, if I went on a first date with someone, like usually, even if it went well, I probably wouldn't suggest seeing each other until like five, six days later. Like you, you don't want to yeah. have the dates back to back to back, but because I just don't have the time <laughs> and you're just not like there. when it, when it, when it goes well, usually I'm like, let's hang out tomorrow. Like just, yeah just because I don't really want to waste any time and I'm like not around for that long. So I'd rather get to know someone very well in a shorter amount of time. And then um, like what I hope to do um, is be able to bring someone um, with me to different places. Not, I mean, obviously not necessarily on all the yeah, shoots that I do or stuff like that but when it's maybe not shooting or e even if it's just for like a few days on a shoot um it'd be great to be able to bring someone like that along yeah. I think that's something that uh like in 
in terms of the people that I've met who've done it really successfully and really well, um, like Russ has was fortunate enough to meet Shannon and they basically both just work together and that's how it works for them. And I think Christina and Paul, it's kind of the same thing. Like yep. if you meet someone who's doing the same thing as you, it's obviously the easiest thing in the world. Um, but you also have to be realistic and like that doesn't happen for and none everyone. none of them have children. So yeah, that, that doesn't happen for everyone. And, um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I want to have children, for example. So I'm yeah. like a little bit different in that regard. Um, and I would rather just meet as many different people as possible to, to try and find that person who I want to be with. And so where do you see, I, and I, I honestly personally have trouble planning out my life more than really two years, but you know, if you were to kind of see yourself like in five years from now, what do you want to have achieved? What do you want to be doing? Uh, I mean, I think I want to be, I think I want to be working on large scale, um, nature wildlife documentaries um i want to be be shooting a lot of them but also probably um also involved in the more like planning and production side of things as well um because i i think i i'm also in a relatively fortunate position in that i know probably quite a few people who could privately invest and fund some of these films and yeah. and if you if you're good at what you do these films are going to make more money than yeah. than is going to be put in and and then that's where you start to make the real money is when you get private people or e even networks but it would have to be like netflix or or larger yeah. larger houses than national geographic um but listening to you talk it clearly isn't all about the money so yeah you know. i mean like but i want to have money to Absolutely. be able to send my kids to college and stuff like that yeah but i mean entirely it's not about the money and i think the uh, the flip side of that is like in by the time i probably want to send my kids to college i would like to think that every college they would want to go to is needs blind. So it doesn't yeah. really matter anyway. Let's hope, we can hope that the world, um, you know, trends that way. But I mean, it is, it's definitely trending that way. Let's just hope it gets there. Yep. Um, but Hopefully. I, yeah, I mean the money, the money is completely not important at all. I mean, I think as long as you have enough money to, to do what you want to do. Yep. Um, and also understanding that the, amount of gear you have to buy to make these documentaries i mean one camera body for these cinema cameras is as much as one year of college tuition yeah yeah that's yeah. just that's just the camera body yeah um like yeah a lot of your like a lot of russ's wealth for example is in his camera gear like yeah, sure it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. that that he has in camera gear but um yeah i mean for for me it's not it, yeah it's not about the money as long as you have enough money um to do what you want to be able to do then i really don't care um that said like that do what you want to be able to do for me it's like a lot of people are like oh but like i want to go and like spend a week on a yacht like if you actually think about that i mean sure it'd be nice if you had the money to be able to do that but like why do you want to spend that week yeah. on that yacht qui bono like who, who who the fuck benefits from doing that yeah and and like Your so instagram page maybe yeah so it's like or like why do you want to buy those incredibly expensive shoes or yeah. like it's 
it's do what I want to be able to do. But like, I'm also, I don't want to do like spend money for like no real point. Money's like, sake. Yeah. And I'm sure you and I have plenty of friends that are in the rat race of the finance world where, you know, the idea is basically you work so much and you make so much money that the only thing you really do with your money is to blow it on expensive shit. Yeah. And that's just, I, yeah. I just, most of my friends in that world are miserable human beings. Yeah. I mean, like making money for money's sake is entirely pointless. Um, I agree. There's always enough money. And I feel like I'm in a fortunate enough position that I know enough people that like there are projects I could work on that could get incredibly well funded. Yep. Um, so I, I don't think it's something I'll, I'll ever worry too much about. I feel like I'm luckily smart enough that I can, I can do what I want to do. And if you, if you're good at what you do, you can make money from what you do. So it's not too much of a concern. Um, and I think you're an embodiment of the idea that if you're, if you're good at what you do, it's probably something you really like doing. Yeah. Yeah. And like the other thing just on that is like, I'm fortunate enough to have earned more money than I would have done at a bank in like five years, but I earned it in eight months. So yeah. like, yeah, you hit, you hit, you hit the startup job lottery and I think you're yeah. really aware of that. So. Yeah. So like, it's not something I'm really too phased about, especially at the moment, like maybe down the line that that will change. But I think even if, even if let's say five years down the line, I'm like, fuck, all I actually really want to do is earn a shitload of money. Then you'll go and do it. Then I could go and work at a bank or I could go and work in yeah. at a VC firm. I'm like fully confident that like whatever it is I wanted to do, I could go do, but money just doesn't really matter. To and the, me, and the so. best thing is you'll be the one that not only has experience in that, but also spent the past four years in Africa filming documentaries. Yeah. Which most people can't, don't even know how to begin to think about. Yeah. It. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. I just want to enjoy what I'm doing and I really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment. So good. So continue. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple like quick questions and they can be answered in 10 words or 10,000. Uh, most of them are meant for as quick answers, but um, if you had a billion dollars to solve any problem, but you couldn't spend any of it on yourself. What problem would you want to solve? Um, wild hunger. Yeah. But just also keep in mind that like $1 billion is enough to like your world hunger for, I think what, three days. Something like that. So yeah, yeah, but three days is more than zero days. You're right. Yeah, I don't know. Billion, billion dollars is this tough one. Yeah. Yeah. The the guy I interviewed earlier, he uh, his 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 answer was pretty immediate. He said, "I don't think any real world problem can be solved with a billion dollars." He's like, "If you said a trillion, I can start moving some things around, but a billion dollars, when it comes to the grand scale, the fact that there's seven billion people on this planet, it's not that much." Yeah, I mean, it, like it's it doesn't really make it much difference but it makes a difference yeah. at least but you you would focus it on more the idea of um you know helping. maybe not world hunger maybe animal conservation i don't know yeah because you could do a lot in animal conservation with a billion dollars yeah you could you could yeah, buy you could do, a significant portion of yeah you could and i guess land i guess saving people probably isn't as important to me as saving animals so. there you go the truth comes out so. yeah um there's actually this fascinating uh non-profit and I'll, I'll link it below in the um in the notes but uh it's it's i forget the name of it um but i've, I've always do i was like donating money anonymously even if i'm not making much money i still it still feels good to throw money at a cause what they do is in america uh, because capitalist 
especially with land are so greedy about making these developments and mining it and like now through the current political climate like everyone just wants to take all of our natural parks turn them into mines i'm pretty confident um they actually buy like checkerboard patterns of land up so that companies can't buy big enough land to actually develop or produce anything and i think that's like the most amazing thing ever yeah you know is that they'll buy even though like half of the land and you know maybe like a billion acres but the idea is that in that billion acres, like no one can do anything with the alternating lots of it because it's just not yeah. big enough to do anything. Which yeah. I think is like that is, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, you're not being a dick about it. You're just trying to stop people from yeah. destroying this planet. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, and then the next question is Are there any stories that your parents like to tell about you from when you were a kid? Are there any stories my parents would want? Like to tell about you that when you were a kid? um like things you did or like something like a story that was really funny about something that happened to you i don't think so the only one i can really think of is not so much a story my parents tell but like i will occasionally tell people which was when i was like younger i used to think that um if you held on to like a a leaf of a a tree or a plant and close yeah. your eyes you'd go invisible um <laughs> that's that's amazing and my parents like followed along with it um as good parents should yeah um how old are you like two three four i think it was like up till i was like six that's i'm great. not really sure but like that's, i i just know that that that's happened fucking yeah incredible. yeah um and then i guess going off of the parents thing um you know when people ask your parents what do you do what do they usually say uh now well so they used to say that i worked um i was like the cfo and ceo of a cryptocurrency company it's like fintech yeah yeah um but now I think they say photographer, um, yeah. photographer and videographer, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that you can learn more about a person's upbringing by how their parents display how their children work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm fortunate in that regard in that my mom worked as a cameraman for the BBC and my yeah. dad like started his own company and was very like grounded in the arts. And so I think they, they're supportive of, of what I want to do and um and it's something I think both of them would have done in a similar position so yep and what about your sister what does she do she's still studying um she's at Trinity College Dublin um she's actually over here in New York uh she finished a semester abroad um at NYU but she um yeah she wants to be a part of the drama and theater world so got it could be another side of yeah human entanglement and but still arts i would say so still somewhat related what part of the arts is your dad in uh so well he he started a greetings card company well originally he he trained as a lawyer so he went to university to study law then decided he didn't want to be a lawyer it's a common decision started a (laughs) greetings card company sold that um in the late 90s or i think maybe in 2000 um back when people actually still sold or still bought greeting cards um and and then he went to he went back to university to study architecture and then was working as a sustainable design consultant basically building like eco-friendly homes um but this last i don't know three four five years he's been focused on redesigning um one of our homes in london um so it's now i think 100 percent um like renewable um, oh wow yeah is it the one you post in your story saying it was like almost done yeah yeah, yeah. Nice. um but so 
but he has i mean he has like lots of pictures around the house pots that kind of stuff he's very like arts and craftsy like he likes yeah. to build stuff he likes to um and i think that's why he i mean he worked when he was a lot younger at a furniture company so he likes more the i guess the building side of sculpting side of things yeah um, when it comes to the arts yeah and i think the last question i'll ask you um just knowing you came from london and there's so many good schools there uh why stanford why why california uh mainly well a couple of reasons one the rowing in the u.s was better and i was rowing to a high level and got, ended up getting recruited out to stat to row at stanford and um so i was i mean i was mainly looking at harvard and stanford in the u.s um the other thing i think was like a third of my school year every year would go to oxford and cambridge like at the school that i went to a third of them would go to oxford and cambridge and yeah. that was kind of the track um and i just i didn't want to be with the same group of people for another totally. four years i wanted like a a new set of friends of experiences that kind of stuff um and i'm really grateful that i i left and experienced the stuff when i did um it definitely gave me a lot of perspective on london a lot of perspective on the people that i grew up with um and yeah i i'm glad that i went to stanford actually let me just i have a a list of like going off some of the stuff we've been talking about i have a list of um just ideas that have come to me um in probably the last like four or five months that i've just found interesting to talk about with other people but also um i did the same thing i mean i've really i've, I've honestly like the past uh, the past four or five months i've been doing the past year and it's been one of the best things i've ever done in my entire life so yeah. far um yeah, so I, I have like four main things written okay, down where are they? here. One one of them, I mean, we can discuss all of these, none of these, one of these. Um, but I ha I'll just read the like the main idea. So the first one I have written down with a long paragraph is um, stop comparing. The second one is uh, the people are the most important thing. So we, I guess we've already talked about yeah. that one. Um, the third is the more you experience, the less you're impressed by. Um, the fourth is social media is not real life. And the fifth is one I actually added this morning is, um, what is success? Um, so hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about any of those, but funnily enough, the first one is something I talked about at nauseum this morning. Uh, and it's about comparison and there's yeah. a, there's a Thoreau quote and it's comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And I think that is nothing that I, I have friends that have, you know, broken up with girlfriends, taken other jobs, done things because they're comparing their life to someone else. Yeah. And you're never going to be happy chasing that role, the red yeah. role, you know, like that's the entire finance industry in, in a nutshell, really. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like you're constantly comparing your returns and your investments to someone else. And same thing with real estate, same thing with medicine in a way, same thing with engineering and like my whole background. Right. It's all these companies are basically like, as long as I'm making, so a product that's better than someone else so i can take the money that they would make instead yeah and that's all it's about yeah that's why that's why i'm grateful for the for the time i spent in california because my mindset really changed on a lot of that stuff oh yeah whereas in london like it's a very doggy dog like rat race where success is zero sum game and like if i'm happy that means you're not happy because yeah, i'm it's happy race to the bottom it's like you want 
other people to do badly you're constantly putting other people down to yeah. bring yourself up it's whereas stanford i think is the antithesis of that it's like let's all help each other to change the world and do yeah. great things yeah and it's more like we can all be successful together um which yeah. i i think like i these days <laughs> um especially when it comes to other people like i i'm in contact and friends with the people that i want to do well and so i'm happy when they're happy and i'm not happy when they're not happy um but i think it's a great um it's a far healthier way to to go about life is is basically just um trying to be happy for other people and the people that i mean there are always going to be people in your life well to some extent i think there are going to be people in your life you don't necessarily get on with or you don't necessarily want to to be happy or their happiness doesn't make you happy but then you just don't spend as much time with them yep. but i think but especially when i was younger it was like me against the world whereas now it's very much like there are a lot of people i want to me see do really world. well yeah. yeah yeah did you go to an all-boys school growing up yeah yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense yeah uh, they kind of teach that like a very like competitive old boys school as I can well. just imagine like, like a london like preparatory you had a same exact wardrobe right yeah yeah you'd wear like ties to school as like a six-year-old yeah yeah that sounds awful yeah uh, what was the third one on there i remember that so the first one you discovered the second one first one was stop comparing second yep. one was people yeah third one was the more you experience the less you're impressed by Ugh, that's so, that's so good um yeah, I mean, it, it's something that, like, I felt, or to some extent, and I, I, this is another thing that, like, someone told me recently that I shouldn't, like, feel guilty about stuff. But, like, so when I was in Hawaii, um, and this is a story I've told to a couple of different people, but I was in Hawaii and fortunate enough to have a doors-off helicopter experience. Um, yeah. And... You were in Kauai, right? Uh, the... I was in both Kauai and Oahu. The helicopter was in Oahu. It went it. around the island. Okay. Um, anyway, so we, we went out on this helicopter ride. I was shooting for this company and uh, and the doors of the helicopter were off. Anyway, we come back down. There was this family in the back of the helicopter at the same time as me. Um, we come back down and I'm like thinking to myself, because we went out at like 2 p.m., like middle of the afternoon. It was like a little bit cloudy. I'm thinking to myself, that was like the worst helicopter experience of my life. Like we didn't stop at all the waterfalls I had wanted to stop at. The light was pretty terrible. Um, yeah. Like the the pilot wasn't necessarily the best pilot that I've had. And I've been fortunate enough to go in quite a few different helicopters in different amazing yeah. places. Anyway, so I'm thinking to myself like, yeah that really wasn't great um but the family get off the back of this helicopter and they're like that was the most amazing experience like of our lives like they they were just completely astounded and talking about how it was like the most fantastic thing they'd ever ever experienced and it made it makes you think in situations like that like why why is it that i'm not as astounded as these other people um it's definitely i think a lot of it is just because especially awe and astonishment and that kind of stuff is such an emotional response and i think human adaptation is such that that kind of that kind of response um gets diminished very quickly when you experience amazing things like that um and i've been fortunate enough to do that um but at the same time it goes back to the stop comparing 
um, idea, which is that like I shouldn't really be comparing that helicopter flight with any other helicopter flight that no, I've yeah. had. Um, and I think, I mean, I think part of it is just being cognizant of um, the way that you're thinking and being aware that you are incredibly lucky. And, and just being present. Yeah. And being, but I think being aware that, okay, you might think these things, like you might think uh, that wasn't a great helicopter experience, but then you have to also like put it into context and think, um, but it was like still an amazing helicopter. Like yeah. it was still a helicopter experience, which is amazing in and of itself. And you have to be thankful. Um, but yeah, changing my mindset in terms of, uh, in terms of comparisons, I think will definitely help. It's definitely a tough, tough one to do. Um, but like another thing was my parents were asking me on my birthday earlier this year, like if I was doing anything special for my birthday and it's like a funny thing because I feel like I'm lucky enough that any given day that I wake up, if there's something I want to do, I'll just go out and do it. The fact that you can do that um, is amazing. So, so it's like, I, I don't know what, what am I like meant to do on my birthday? That's any different than any other day. Um, and like I had been really fortunate the day before to be swimming with turtles, manta rays, dolphins, yeah. um, shooting a bunch of underwater stuff. So sorry, where were you? Uh, I was in Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. Um, and like I think I'm incredibly grateful for everything that I've experienced. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something you realize is that like having an adrenaline junkie almost attitude to life, where like you need to travel to the new place you need to travel to the cooler hotel you need yeah. to travel to um or you need to experience all of these amazing things um it definitely gets harder and harder to, to get impressed by stuff and that's not just people that's not just experiences and things and 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 that kind of stuff but it's also people like the more people you meet the the harder it is for you to truly be impressed by another person but it also puts into context what you think of all the people that you've met up until that point and for for some people you're like oh i i wish i'd spent like more time with this person because yeah. actually this is something that i really value whereas um so i mean it's i think it's just a function of human adaptation is is yeah the more similar experiences you've had um, probably the less of an impact it's going to have on you. And I think uh, one thing that came to my head while you were talking about this was, I'm sure you saw the National Graphic photo a few weeks ago of the line of people waiting to summit Everest. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I said, how many of those people are doing this for intrinsic reasons and not for like bucket list, yeah. Instagram? I think it's just being able to say I summited Everest. Yeah, which is, to me is like the most bogus thing in the world. Yeah. It's like, it's it's the tallest mountain on the earth, but you wouldn't be able to get up there unless everyone that you just paid $40,000 basically carried your ass up there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and there is a quote that I, I pulled up on my phone while you were saying that, and it's by Seneca and it goes, true happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence on the future, not to amu amuse ourselves with either hopes or fears, but to rest satisfied with what we have, which is sufficient for he that so wants nothing. The greatest blessings of mankind are within us and within our reach. A wise man is content with his lot, whatever it may be, without wishing for what he has not. And I and I and I I had a, a few moments a few months ago when that I I found that quote when I was just like I found myself complaining about the dumbest shit. I'd be like, oh, I wish like 
you know, I, I got wet in my rain jacket. I was like, I wish I had a nicer rain jacket. So my car is like, oh, it should be nice to be faster. It's like lenses. Like, oh, I'd love to have a longer lens for that. But you kind of sit there and realize you're like, what? Why? What the fuck's the point? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something I think for the last four, probably four years, I've been fortunate enough to have changed my mindset over is just complaining. Like I grew up in a household and I guess an environment where people just complain all the time. Yep. And it's like, it brings you down so much that, I, I think it was in my second year, maybe it was my first year at Stanford. Um, there's this great Richard Sherman quote. There's a long backstory to it that I won't go into. But yeah. The basi- NFL player? But yeah, basically, basically, so he went to Stanford. Yeah. But basically the, the quote, the the quote and like the ultimate moral of the story is um, he in part of an email he sent out to, to a dorm was um, he said, stop bitching and fucking adapt. Like it's it's that idea that like, life is going to throw shit at you like whatever it is stuff is going to happen yeah like complaining really doesn't do anything no um and you either deal with the situation that you're in and you make the best of it or you just complain so i that's something that i've like has has changed a lot of stuff in my life over the last four years um and it changed a lot of people that i lived with um and and was close to um but and richard yeah. sherman came from nothing if i'm not mistaken right he grew up in like the streets of compton yeah i i think uh he i mean he's just a, a great great yeah. guy and now is back playing for the the 49ers let me ask you so, yeah. t- so tonight is is game five toronto versus gold State. do you think do you think toronto's gonna win tonight uh i i don't i think i think golden state will win tonight i like Unless KD comes back and plays incredibly well, I think the Raptors will probably win in six or seven. Yeah. Um, but you don't think it's going to be tonight. But I think even if KD, KD doesn't play tonight, I just really don't see the Warriors losing three three straight. Like, I think... Yeah. Um, I, like, they've lost two in a row now. And yeah. I think... Two they're gonna home. Two. Yeah, I think they're going to come out fighting. And, like, it's kind of... I don't know. It, I think part of it is also, like, I hope that golden state win obviously coming yeah. from or, SF. yeah coming from the bay area but uh yeah i don't think i don't think they'll win tonight but i think they will unless KD plays incredibly well coming back and going off the the things you wrote down do you journal at all do you do anything like that uh no i i mean i i did a little bit i started in April I wrote a couple of things for a couple of days and then I didn't for a month and then I wrote something again but like unless there's something incredible for me one it's almost like either it's pointless because no one's going to read your journal yeah or it's kind of selfish and conceited because you think the stuff that you're going to write down is worth someone reading it yeah so either way it's like I never really thought that it was going to be that like worthwhile writing something down um but i i mean i guess i decided that i'd probably write some stuff down that i thought would be worth at least like me coming back to at some point and um or or stuff that i thought if someone did end up reading it that maybe it's like of some importance and that has some kind of meaning to someone else but uh but no in general i also just like haven't had that much time to be able to do it and yeah i maybe it's a worthwhile thing maybe it's not but i i can't say i journal 
Yeah. And I think I'm the same thing. Every time I, I begin that idea where it's like, I'd rather just have these thoughts in my head rather than write them down. Like, cause I'm not going to go back and read this. Like they're already thoughts in yeah. my head. So what's the point? Yeah. But one thing I did, I did actually uh, start doing this year was just every day, either writing or thinking about three things that I was grateful for. Right. And I think that just level of gratefulness, uh, you know, like I, I, I enjoy listening to like the Tim Ferriss's and the Tony Robbins of the world, but I try to take their like word as like, gospel but i think the only thing that tony robbins said to me that said that i've listened to that i've ever kind of really stuck out in my head was that it's really hard if you ever get angry or you want to start complaining it's really hard to start doing that especially if you come from means uh, like you and i do if uh you just stop for a second and just be grateful for what you have and immediately like changes your mindset so whether i'm like anxious scared nervous you know something else is going on if i can just like have that moment where i just have like mental clarity where i stop and go okay like i have a lot that i can be really thankful for um, you know, it, that's, it's amazing what that little bit can do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I don't think so. Anything else yeah. want to promote plug? Um, no. I'll link your Instagram so, so people can go. And, uh, yeah. I don't think so. Um, I think just try and be better people. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. When, when uh, the documentary you're working on, when, when do you think that'll, that'll uh, make it out? That they'll probably, um, the white lion one will be a little bit later on, but probably not for at least another 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Okay. Do, you, do you know who's releasing it? Uh, yeah. Both of them are national geographic oh, nice. documentaries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and I'm sure they'll have some sort of deal with like Apple or Netflix to distribute them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're mainly just on the national geographic channel, but like working with, uh, Netflix and Disney nature is something that Russ and I are trying to do with um, some other projects we have kind of yeah. discussed. Yeah. Disney nature is a pretty cool and uh, not really well-known division. Well, yeah, Disney, Disney um, is going to be launching, or I guess Fox Disney yeah. streaming service. Yeah. Disney plus. Yeah. So, and I think that's going to probably rival Netflix. Like they're going to take all of those movies off Absolutely. Netflix. Yeah, they said they would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's going to be interesting because it'll be kind of like Netflix originals and like a few other things versus Disney and like they're going to have a whole host of stuff that yeah. was, yeah. I mean, I, I still see that personally as, as Apple, just like they first got music pr labels to put music on iTunes and then movies to put movies on iTunes, the same thing. I think eventually one streaming service is going to win out and have like all this other streaming services built into theirs. And I think my money is still on Apple for that to happen. Yeah. But yeah. I think we could, you know, we could debate that all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Cool. Well, yeah. uh, thank you for two hours of your time. Sweet. On a, uh, yeah. On a Monday morning, but yeah. uh, I really appreciate it. All right. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation with myself and Misha Wilcoxon. You can find him online at Misha Wilcoxon or at Traveler. Yes, he actually owns the username on Instagram at Traveler. As always, you can find me on social media at Rob Ockenkloss, who doesn't own the name at Traveler, or at robislost.com or robockenkloss.com if you feel adventurous and trying to spell my last name. It's 11 characters. Good luck. Have a wonderful day. Thank <laughs> you.